Hi, and thank you for listening to Dream 10X Radio, where we interview people attempting to live extraordinary lives. Our twofold purpose is to both direct and inspire people bold enough to do the same. Dream 10X. Face your fears. Hey, it's your boy JC. And Dr. Cable. And welcome to Dream to Next Podcast episode 61. What does that mean in English? That's German for 61. Ah. How, how do you say 61 in French? 61. 61. Episode 61. 61. Dream to Next episode 61. And today uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about um, the book that I read recently called Driven to Succeed, written by Rod McQueen and Susan M. Papp. Driven to Succeed is a book about a guy from Hungary. His name was, I have a hard time saying his last name. It's kind of funny. Frank Hasenfrotz. Oh, it looks like Ah. Frank Hasen. I want to say France, but it's Frank Hasenfrotz. And he grew up in um, Hungary prior to World War II. Mm. And so he was coming into his own as a teenager during the war. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to tell the whole story about the beginning of his life in Hungary because it's really fascinating. And I really loved reading about how he grew up in Hungary and post-World War II and how the Russians kind of came in. And it was just mind-blowing to learn more about how the com- how communist governments operate, mm. and I won't I won't say any more. You can read about it, but man, it it just blows your mind as somebody in a Western democracy how other countries around the world actually treat their people mm-hmm. and how poorly they treat their people. And man, I'm just lucky to be an American, <laughs> lucky to have what we have. I just feel really fortunate. But um, he, or and, instead of but, he ended up coming to Canada, not mm-hmm. the United States. Um, he wanted to get out of uh, communist Hungary at the time. Mm-hmm. And he was a soldier over there. And he ended up escaping and coming to Canada instead of the United States. And one of the things that Canada offered immigrants during World War II was um, a, kind of a stipend, some money. They gave oh, them some nice. money. To, and they had they fought about it. They weren't going to give immigrants anything when yeah. they came over into Canada. But then they decided ultimately that people who were fleeing war-torn Europe, mm. they would be willing to you know give skilled immigrants some money. Makes sense. So he had a little bit of money from the government. Mm-hmm. It was just a one-time thing. It wasn't like a monthly thing. He had a little bit of money when he came, in, came across the Canadian border and had to make it on his own at that point. Yeah. yeah okay, we welcome you into our country. Uh, you're a war-torn, war-torn immigrant from Europe, and you're now you can now operate within Canadian borders, but you're on your own. You got to figure it <laughs> Go out. Go do great things. Go do great things. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so, what a fascinating story about how he did great things. Yeah. He he came in and he didn't have basically had no money mm-hmm. and. He lived out of a train station, and he brushed his teeth in the train station bathroom, while at the same time he started work at a car wash. Ah. And so he made a little bit of money on a car wash, and he saved it. Made a little bit of car, living out of a train station. And slowly but surely, he snowballed that Mm -hmm. into getting a job. His trade was machining, working Mm. with, you know, making machine parts for cars and tractors and that kind of Uh stuff. 
And so he had a he had an in-demand skill there, and eventually he got hired at a company to do that kind of thing. And uh, one thing leads to another, and um, he gets another job, and uh, ultimately decides. And he meets a, he meets a woman, yeah. and she's uh, well-to-do. Mm-hmm. Comes from a well-to-do family. So when they get married, all of a sudden he's got a house and he's got some land. Nice, all from his <laughs> wife. And so now he's starting to cook with gas, yeah. right? And f- then he decides to start a machining company in mm. his basement. And from almost day one, he was profitable in doing that. That's amazing. And you know, reflecting on my own experience and trying to start a company, I, I am not profitable yet. And I've been doing this for over a year. Mm-hmm. And so that was a little depressing to me to, to hear that he was able to, like, come into this country from uh, after surviving World War II and going through all that he did, was able to start a profitable company in his basement from day one. So I feel like such a loser in some regard. But at the same time, like you're building software, which is a way different thing than something tangible you can physically sell to somebody. Like this is, software is wildly different than some piece of metal. Yeah. And it it makes me wonder. It makes me wonder a lot. Is is the thing, are the things that we build in a virtual world really worth anything? Compared to people who build things in the real world, yeah. I, so I think about the the, the philosophy it's of that. It's definitely a, lot. a dichotomy, like like yeah. physical things, you know, like machine parts. People wanted that. People, you want have that. to have that small piece of your car. Or you're screwed. Right. <laughs> yeah. Building things in the real world yeah. and having that skill to build things. So there's a lot of things we've talked about that mm-hmm. we've wanted, you know, real physical things yeah. built. We were like, we don't know, and we're not going to go to China to have China, right. <laughs> have it built. You know, we want to be able to do that ourselves. But we don't have that skill right now. And I don't think a large part of America, Northern America, has skills now for building tangible physical things. So it's an interesting question, and I'm still pondering it. However, I do have skills in developing software Mm -hmm. for, you know, virtual devices, virtual experiences. um, But I'm still wondering, like... It's an interesting question, and we'll see. Is that is something that I build and out of bits and bytes going to be worth anything? Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. uh, so anyway, um, he goes on from being profitable almost from day one, building machine parts in his basement, but he also has a very keen business mind as well. And uh, it was interesting to learn about how he thought about things and how frugal he was. Frugality is very important as well. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm constantly thinking about frugality. Do we really need to be spending money on this, that, and the other? And it's a, it's a really difficult thing to do. Um, and he, he eventually started a billion, uh, started, he eventually built a billion dollar company. It's and, amazing. And it's still in existence today. It's called Linamar, L-I-N-A-M-A-R. Mm-hmm. And it's a combination of letters from the women in this family, his Aww. wife and his daughters. And it's just a really great, <laughs> the dog just walked off with her bowl, bowl for some reason. It's kind of odd. <laughs> she doesn't do that very often. <laughs> Anyway, um, so it's still around today. It's a billion-dollar conglomerate up in Canada called Linamar. It's publicly traded, I think, on that market up there. And they've done business with companies in uh, America. And they've had some companies in Mexico building uh, machine parts as well. 
And uh, they even had, a, which is ironic, I think, they even had a stint building machine parts for uh, columbines, for oh, farm yeah. columbines. I've been in one of those. You have? Yeah. In Nebraska? Yeah. <laughs> oh. And Krakenmeyer's dad. Oh, really? You drove it? <laughs> no, I sat in it. Oh, you sat yeah, in he it? He wouldn't let me drive it. Did it have air conditioning? I, it did. It did. Yeah, yeah. yeah, these things are crazy. It probably had a radio and air conditioning. Well, oh. I don't know about the radio. I was just so excited. To, it was tall, too, like to be up in that thing. They're big cool. machines. Yeah. But he had a contract with Russia, and yeah. so he tried to sell to Russia, but because of the communist bureaucracy there, he ultimately had to say, I can't mm -hmm. do it. I, you know, it's just impossible. So one of those interesting stories there, he had he shipped some columbines to Russia uh, after having the contract all ironed out and everything. So they... Oh, and it's combine, not columbine. Combine. Sorry, not com Yeah, that's not high school. Yeah. Uh, combine. And uh, they get the combines over to Russia, and the port authority there says, "Niet, you cannot bring the combine das into is so good. <laughs> you cannot bring it into the country." He's like, "Well, why?" And and so they they came up with some. It's just we can't we can't bring it in because of uh, it had it had something to do with the oil or something like mm. that. Um, so he 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 and some of the top executives bought tickets to fly over there to talk face to face with the people who wouldn't allow the combines in. And ultimately it ended up with them having to pay like a hundred dollar bribe to allow them to let the combines in. Mm -hmm. And so he was like, I spent all this money to fly my executives over there and, and me to, to talk to these people when all I had to do was pay like a hundred dollar fine to these guys and they would live. So that's why he's like, I can do business with, yeah. with, with this crazy country, which is a really interesting story. Um, so, I think that's all I'll say about this book. I, I really am intrigued by um, immigrants who come to this country and are wildly successful. Yeah. And, and we talked about Sam Zell in, mm -hmm. in our episode 47. And again, Sam Zell, uh, he wasn't, while he wasn't born in Poland, his family flee, fled mm. war-torn Poland during mm -hmm. World War II as well. And he was born shortly after his family came to the West Coast. And again, Sam Zell was a billionaire, real estate investor, and other investor. And so it's really intriguing to me to look at the lives of these immigrants who come to America and just are hugely sick, or not, you know, America and Canada, these liberal democracies, and, 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 to, and to look at their lives and to see how widely successful they were. What, yeah. what was it that drove them to become so successful? And I think part of it is to be in a place where they're now free and to have an awareness of what it's like to not be free. Mm. You don't appreciate what you have until you, you, in so, unless you have something to compare and contrast it with. Right? It's hard to appreciate our freedom when we haven't had it taken away mm -hmm. in, in, in the forms that these you know, oppressive other governments around the world have, take, have, have removed freedom from the people that are in their country. Yeah. And so I think... Uh, you know, part of that is the awareness of what they now have, the freedom that they now have, and what they can possibly do. And um, I don't know. I just it's really cool to to think about and cool to read about and see the transition of their lives and, and how they became successful. So I'm also curious, like the number of immigrants who come in who are not successful, and what is the difference between the two? Hmm. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Especially from war torn countries, like what what is the how are they not able to overcome the barriers that some of the other folks have? And I don't know. So great book, Driven to Succeed. I really loved it. Uh, recommend it. Um, pick it up if you're interested. Another book I just finished is The Myth of Artificial Intelligence. Ooh. So if you've been thinking about artificial intelligence and how it's going to take over the world and 
and kill everybody and take your job and and all that. Um, this is a kind of a refresh, refreshing read. It's by uh, Eric J. Larson. Eric, yeah, Eric J. Larson. Eric with a K. And one of the core tenets of this book is that machines are right now not on the path to become a general super intelligence like humans because they don't think like humans. They, mm -hmm. they, you know, machine. Machine learning is not like human learning, yeah. and um, w even though we we're not that bright, uh, all in all, um, we can think broadly and, and solve solve problems using abductive reasoning, which is problem basically problem solving and in creating hypotheses out of basically thin air and piecing together puzzles to solve a problem. Whereas mm -hmm. machines can't do that. They, they use inductive reasoning. Mm -hmm. They're really great at inductive reasoning. And one of the great quotes I, I, or sayings that I pulled out of here was that machines are like idiot savants. <laughs> They're really great at like playing a game or really great at like, you know, creating a video with Arnold Schwarzenegger's face on yeah. it. But in terms of solving problems um, and, and teaching themselves, to solve problems and, and trying to teach themselves things that they don't know. You know, humans can do this great. Like, that's one of the things I, I love about our brains is that we can get a sense of what we don't know mm -hmm. and seek out ways to teach ourselves that. And we, and the other great thing about that is you don't have to go to college or a university to learn something. Yeah. <laughs> Studies recently that are really cool around like coaching and AI, and mm. I mentioned this to you the other day, but, um, what they found is that the AI coaches are really good at people who need goal setting and keeping up and needing that accountability, but are terrible with like the wellness and health and mental coaching. And uh, so with that, they're looking at different partnerships between having a human and an AI interface, which I think is brilliant. Um, but I think it's really cool too that the humans, like we have the empathy and computers can't fake the mirror neurons like you can't fake that that interaction and that empathy mm -hmm. so no yeah way. no yeah. way not even close right now yeah i read an article today about a preacher who put uh our, a chat gpt based uh, uh avatar as the preacher in a church well, that's odd. That just blew me away. And one of the comments of one of the congregants afterwards was like, the the avatar preacher didn't relate to me at, on any sort of yeah. human, human level whatsoever, <laughs> even though it was spouting, you know, knowledge that yeah. it had absorbed from reading various things. Yeah. But, uh, it's just, to me, that's like horrible. That's not at all where we want to go with this stuff. But, yeah. um, Okay. So, great book, uh, The Myth of Artificial Intelligence as well. Uh, highly recommend that, even if it's just to give you a different perspective on where you think the technology is at the moment. So, in that regard, it is really good. Okay, so this summer, what are we doing? We're reading a book? We're Another reading book? a book. Well, we've already read the book. Well, I've already read the book. I wish I could um, read it. <laughs> it we're rowing down the Potomac River. So, James has been diligently rebuilding a gunning dory. I help when I can, but he's the primary guy. And uh, so it's a gunning dory. It's a big rowboat, 18 foot. And we're going to be rowing from DC all the way to the Chesapeake Bay. So that's going to be super fun. And then we are flying to Molokai, flying to Oahu to do the Molokai <laughs> to Oahu race. Paddleboard. Uh, no, I'm getting oh, there. 
paddleboard race, uh, and uh, it's prone, which means you lay down. It's all the terrible parts of surfing that nobody likes, but this board is actually made for it, and so the shape is a little bit different. And it just zips. When you go, it just zips through the water. Well, for me, it zips very slowly, but it zips. <laughs> <laughs> so we are going to be um, going through the Channel of Bones from Molokai to Oahu, 33 miles. And James and me and his son, uh, so 11 miles each. And yes. then uh, we're going to have many beers after. <laughs> <laughs> But the race is not just prone, it's also stand-up and, and foil. foil. But we're and only foil. doing prone. We're, we're doing a And incidentally, prone. we've never paddleboarded before in our lives, so this has been a huge learning curve in about like two months. Uh, and it's been tremendous as a learning professional uh, to experience learning something wildly different that I've never done before, especially physical, which is different than brain stuff. And uh, so it's it's been cool. It, uh, one of the challenges of prone paddleboarding is getting up on your knees on this little thin board and paddling on your knees. And um, if you look at some of the, the previous races from the Molokai to Oahu, you'll see people, you know, just really sticking their butt up high in the air and really digging deep in the water. And so the first time I tried that, I went <laughs> right over. So, wow, what a skill it mm -hmm. is to be able to balance on your knees and paddle in big waves across the Kaivi Channel. Yeah. Wow, I had no idea it was that difficult. And but So I keep going back and looking at these pictures and these people are just like hammering it in these big waves across the channel. I'm like, man, that is such a skill. Mm -hmm. Just great respect for these people who are, who, who are able to do that. Yeah. And uh, again, it's one of those things where I was like, let's, we got to do that. I, you know, it comes back from when we went to Molokai <laughs> two years ago and we, we sat on the beach and we looked at uh, across the channel eating hamburgers um, from Molokai Burger looking across the channel and seeing Oahu in the distance and just thinking, man, that would be really cool to be able to, to like cross that channel in some way, either row it or swim it. I bet we could swim it. <laughs> and so when I saw this race, I was like, man, this is a chance to, to feel that. Mm -hmm. to, and I, I've heard some people in some of the videos, like they call it mana, the mana of the channel, the spirit of the channel. And I, I just want, I want to experience that before I die. So I'm really, really happy to be able to, to get out there. I have no idea if we're going to be able to, to finish in time, but that we're working really hard to, to get our chops in and getting our, our times and times down and stuff. What? Nothing. <laughs> Speed of sloth. <laughs> so what did you think when I asked you to do that? Like, do you really want to know? <laughs> from, yeah, I do. From that first time I asked you, would you be would you be willing to do this? And in light of everything else, like we had already planned to row down the Potomac. My first reaction was, "Are you effing kidding me?" Yeah. <laughs> because we had a whole Potomac thing planned already yeah. up the Delaware Peninsula. I mean, yeah, and so it was totally derailing that trip. And well, then not totally. At, you asked my initial reaction. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, telling yeah. you okay, my initial okay, reaction. Okay. okay. <laughs> it was totally derailing that trip. And then the cost was to hit me second. Mm. Like, this is going to cost a lot of money mm. to get us there. To get the all the things is going to be wildly expensive. So those are my first two reactions. Like, Okay, so honestly, since we're on the podcast and we're here. <laughs> is that like safe space for you? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, let's just air out. the 
editor, right? Let's air our dirty laundry right now. Yeah, I'm the editor. Do you wish I had not pushed us to do this at this point? I think it's a really interesting learning experience. I'm excited to go and try this out and uh, see how it goes. That sounds like a very PC answer. It's true. Is that like from your heart? Yeah. Answer? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think it'll right. be an interesting experience. My son Matthew is a surfer, and when I asked my family, you know, the kids, my, my two daughters and my son, if any of them would be interested in being our third member of the team, it's a three person team that we're doing this mm-hmm. with. Uh, I don't think any of us could do solo <laughs> 33 miles. I, that on top of everything else, I don't think, uh, I don't see how people do that. But when I asked them, Matthew immediately said, yes, that is something he would love to do. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was glad of that, like to have that initial fire was there for him. So mm-hmm. that's good. I don't know if it's burned out <laughs> because the training has been a real eye opener and, and uh, really feeling how hard it is. It is a difficult sport. That was my third reaction is that we've never done this before. And do you know what this channel is? (laughs) Do you know how hard this is? (laughs) Yeah. So we train on the Potomac River where it's relatively flat, but it's not flat all the time out there. And the currents are really rough out there. Yeah. Yeah. And the the wind goes opposite the current. So you're like, crap, you're rowing in place for hours. Yeah. It's frustrating. um, It's interesting to learn about the, the... the bodies of water that you're on because rowing is good for that like rowing you really get more intimate with the water that you you practice on but you're not in the water on a paddleboard you're basically in the water and you're going to go over like when you try to get on your knees or whatever you're going to go over you're going to spend a lot of time in the water and so for me i mean it sounds corny but paddleboarding is allows me to be more intimate with the body of water that mm-hmm. we train on especially when it, the tides are um, against the wind and you've got weird currents and you know the board really will move through almost anything any you know adverse condition whether it be waves or current but you really feel it like you, mm-hmm. you feel how the water moves even mm-hmm. more and I don't know I just really like it. plus it's making me less afraid of like going into the water like rowing, in a single skull you get you get uptight about potentially going over like mm. even when you shove off the dock you don't want to go over but on a paddleboard it's like i'm gonna go over i'm I, and i i know how to get back on the board and start all over again and i love that about mm-hmm. that and about rowing afraid. like you can flip over and get back in it's just a pain in the butt it's hard mm-hmm. and yeah you don't it's like nobody flips a boat like no you don't want anybody to ever see you flip a, yeah. a boat because that's like oh you don't know what you're doing yeah. um and Paddleboard, you don't want to flip over either, but I don't know. It's just to, it's just to get get more in the water, to feel more of the water, to be more. Oh, okay, it sounds corny, but I really like being on the water. I love it. Good, and, and it makes you feel like a like you're part of that ecosystem. A little mm. bit. Anyway, so that's what we're doing. Um, we are going to take a break from this podcast for a while. We'll probably be back around September. Assuming we don't get eaten by sharks, yes. <laughs> no. Fourth reaction. <laughs> She's generally very, very positive. Very positive person. So we go with, are you effing kidding me? To This is going to be so damn expensive. We don't know what the hell we're doing. We've never done a paddleboard. And yeah, we're going to get eaten by sharks. 
My hope, however, I'm going to be the positive uh, half right now. Usually it's you. Like 90% of the time it's you, Mrs. Positive. But for this, I'm hoping we, we come back successful, that we've, we finished within our eight hours and we were, you know, had a great trip and we're all alive. And we'll look back on this forever for the rest of our lives with great fondness. This is with one like leg. Shut <laughs> No, it's going to be great. No sharks. <laughs> Kaivi Channel, here we come. And Potomac, here we come. All right. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Like and subscribe to Dream to Next Podcast. So we are going to post some pictures of our adventures on probably at vikingrose.com and dreamtonext.com. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, if we can figure out how to do it. And we will see you in September. September. Thank yep. you. Bye. Bye.